Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship we love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for your holy, sh- uh, your holy Shabbat, in particular this Yom Kippur, this day of atonement that you have given us as an opportunity to remember the reality of your atonement that you have provided for us through Messiah Yeshua. Father, I pray that as we open up your word this evening uh, in our Kol Nidre service, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it be your voice heard, your word received, and that nothing of me will be involved this evening. Father, have your way in our midst and prepare our hearts and our minds to receive from you this evening. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen. Uh, so this evening uh, is the beginning of Yom Kippur. This is Erev Yom Kippur, or the evening of uh, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. Uh, back when the temple stood, when the tabernacle stood, this day would be chop full of all sorts of activities and sacrifices and events going on at the temple and at the tabernacle. Um, actually, history shows us that in spite of how we tend to observe uh, Yom Kippur today, because there's no temple standing and there's this solemn nature and, and this uh, um, uh, kind of almost a, a sorrowful mindset, if you would, and and I, I say that only because I can't think of anything better to say. Uh, but there's that kind of a mentality that we approach Yom Kippur with today. But history tells us that when the temple stood, that it was an entirely different atmosphere. That although, yes, it was focused on atonement and repentance and teshuvah, but there was also this mentality of, of rejoicing, the community coming together and rejoicing in the courts of the temple because of the fact that we serve a God who is forgiving uh, and who does atone. And so uh, <clears throat> as we look at Yom Kippur today, we clearly observe it and remember it a little bit different than it would have been done during the days of the temple, particularly because there's no temple standing. There's no priesthood active today. There's no sacrifices that could be made today for Yom Kippur. Uh, But what is beautiful about Yom Kippur is that it's this opportunity, especially as believers, for us to remember the reality of Teshuvah, for us to remember the reality of God's atonement. Uh, for us to remember that idea of being drawn back to him faithfully. If you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. The Lord put a a word on my heart this evening that's definitely a little different than what I normally would talk about on Yom Kippur, uh, but it fits right into what Yom Kippur is and what the Lord has done through Messiah Yeshua as our final atonement. Excuse me. So if you have your scriptures... Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2 listen heavens and hear earth for Adonai has spoken by the way we'll pause there just for a quick Hebrew lesson Uh, verse 2 that first word listen in the Hebrew is the word Shema just like we say in Deuteronomy 6 4 Shema Israel Adonai Elohim Adonai Echad Shema listen Uh, and it's not just hear as in you know your mom's talking to you and you know that she's talking but you're really not listening 
but you can hear that she's talking. It's a hear with a response. There's a follow through of response that goes with it. And so uh, uh, he says, hear, O heavens, and uh, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth. The word hear there is ha'azinu, just like our upcoming Parsha this week, uh, this Shabbat. It's ha'azinu, and that is listen, as in turn your attention towards me and hear the words that are coming forth from my mouth. It's not necessarily a, a responsive action that goes with it, but it is that idea of turn your ears toward me and hear. So listen, heavens, hear, earth, for Adonai has spoken, sons I have raised and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Oi, a sinful nation, a people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons dealing corruptly. They have abandoned Adonai. They have despised Israel's holy one. They have turned backwards. Where will you be struck again as you stray away more and more? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. So the Lord is saying here very bluntly, you have walked away from me. Israel, my beloved, Israel, my bride, Israel, my chosen people, Israel, my, my children, you have walked away from me in spite of everything I've done. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you into the promised land. Everything I said would be done has been done for you, and yet you still have chosen to walk away from me, to turn your back on me, and to forsake me. And so uh, he says, don't worry, though. You know, this is a reality. This is who you are, but you're probably going to get a little worse. And then we go to verse 11. We jump ahead to verse 11. You can just set it down right there. Thank you. We go ahead to verse 11. It says, For what is it to me? The multitudes of your sacrifices, says Adonai. I am full of burnt offerings of rams and fat and fed animals. I have no delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or he goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand, trampling at my courts? Bring no more worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Shabbat, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure it. Iniquity and solemn assemb with solemn assembly. Your new moons and your festivals my soul hates. They are a burden to me. I am weary to bear them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you multiply prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Now, a lot of people look at this and go, see, God didn't want all this stuff, right? The sacrifices and the temple service and the Shabbat and, and yada, yada. God didn't want any of that. It didn't matter. He says right here, I never asked for it. Who asked you to do this stuff? Uh, there are other passages where we read similar things. You go to uh, Psalm chapter 51, verse 18. For you would, not you would not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, uh, nor be pleased by burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Uh, so he says the same thing there. We go to Hosea uh, chapter 6. O Ephraim, what shall I do for you? O Judah, what will you, I do for you? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like dew rising early, vanishing. Therefore I cut them down by the prophets. I slew them by the words of my mouth. Now the judgment pronounced against uh, you, light will go forth, for I, de I delight in loyalty and not sacrifice, knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed a covenant. They then There they dealt treacherous with me. So we see there's this, this notion here of God being tired of the sacrifices, of God being tired of the service of Israel in the temple, of the, the Shabbat, the, the, the new moon festivals of the, the holidays, uh, what we would call the high holy days of the, the Moedim, the appointed days, that God's just fed up with it all. And so a lot of people in the body today would use this as prime example. See, God doesn't care about any of that. There's a problem here. He's not talking about he didn't want us to do these things. He says, who asked you to do this? 
Well, we know very clearly he did. We go back to the Torah. It's very specific. He says he asked us to do this. But he says here, I cannot, verse 13, bring no more worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Shabbat, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure it. Iniquity was solemn assembly. He's not talking about the actual services themselves. He's not talking about the actual sacrifices themselves. He's not talking about the actual observances of the new moons and the Shabbat and the, the, the Moedim. He's talking about the way that we observe them. Because at this point in time, this is right before the Babylonian captivity. At this point in time, Israel had their foot, one foot in the door and one foot out the door. They were, by road practice, they were over here doing the sacrifices and things that were necessary on these days. But out on the other side, outside of the walls of the temple, they were doing whatever the heck they wanted. And they were serving whoever they wanted. And they were worshiping whoever they wanted. And they did whatever. And the Lord says, look, I don't want both. You're either all in or you're all out. But I, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. He says, my heart is broken because of you. I can't handle the reality that, that you are mixing the world with my ways, that you're mixing the, the ways of this world with what I have called you and commanded you to do. I have called you to be righteous and holy, set apart and different. And the exact opposite is what you have become. And then we go forward to verse 16, still in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. It says, wash and make clean, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says Adonai. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will become like wool. He says, quickly, put away all this evil stuff that you keep doing and instead learn to do good, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Guess what? He's not saying anything new here. He actually calls us to do the same thing in the Torah. And guess what? Yeshua is not saying anything new when he re reiterates those words to us in the Gospels. That was his desire all along. What good does it do if we are faithfully making sacrifices to the temple like we're supposed to if we're still rotten and dirty and despicable and not caring for those who can't care for themselves among our community? What good are we? What's the point? Our congregation is, is pretty swift about, if need be, helping people out when they're, when they're having money problems or whatever it is to, to make sure that our community is able to, to, to make ends meet and to worship together. And people go, but, but come on, there's got to be more that we could be doing with this money. There's got to be other things that are not. I said, look, what's the point to having it? What's the point to having the building? What's the point to having the money come in and Sadaka in the, in the bank account and so on if, if we're not using it for what the Lord has called us to use it for? It's not just to pay for the building. That's part of it. It's not just to pay for the ministries that go on. That's a part of it. It's not just to feed into other ministries. That is a part of it. But it's also necessary that we feed into our own people and that we make sure that our people aren't suffering, that our people aren't hungry, that our people aren't starving, that our people aren't homeless. You know, we look at the, the world around us, especially here in America. We have this, this mentality, this notion that it's the government's responsibility to take care of the sick and the orphan and the needy. We complain all the time because the, the government's not taking care of people in homeless shelters well enough or helping people get off the street. We complain all the time because the government's not making sure that people are fed right. We all argue and complain about the, the, the insurance issues and everything going on with what's happened in the last several years with that, that scenario. But the reality is we put ourselves in this situation. 
Because instead of us, the body of Messiah, living up to what the Lord has called us to do, which is exactly what we complain the government isn't doing, we instead relegated our role to the government and washed our hands of it. But that's not what we're supposed to do. Imagine if the body of Messiah, if the bride of Messiah actually cared for the sick, the orphan, the needy, the willow, widowed, the willow. There's a willow over there. It's pretty interesting. Uh, imagine if we actually did these things, how much better the world would look. Even more so, imagine how much better the, the message of the besor, the gospel, the good news that comes out of our mouth would look. Because it wouldn't be like the sacrifices of old that we're doing just because we have to do, but we're also dark and miserable and despicable over here. Imagine what it would be like if we actually honored the word of God. Heaven forbid. It's a novel concept, I know. But what's interesting here is the Lord never says, whether we're talking the passage read in Isaiah 1 or we're talking what I read from Psalm or, or Hosea or any other place in the Tanakh in the, the Old Testament, the Lord never says, I didn't actually ask for these sacrifices. It's a rhetorical, sarcastic comment. I love that God's sarcastic because I know he wired me that way. And it, and it, it, it lets me see a little bit of his image and likeness coming forth in the midst of what I'm not his image and likeness sometimes but uh what's really neat is is we look at this and we recognize that he's being sarcastic all right he's being sarcastic it's a rhetorical question he goes who asked you for this well clearly I did the Lord did clearly he asked us for these things but he didn't ask us to do it just to be doing it you know we talk often here at Mayim Chaim that uh as a Messianic Jewish synagogue we don't do liturgy in our services just because Judaism does liturgy we don't sing the prayers that we sing just because it's Jewish. We don't do the things that we do in the Torah service just because it's Jewish. We don't celebrate the Moedim just because it's Jewish. But we do it because it's Yeshua-centrally focused. Everything that we do must be Yeshua-centrally focused. And so whether we're talking of the sacrifices in the temple when the temple stood and the priesthood was active or we're talking about how we worship and interact with the presence of God today, it must all be Yeshua centrally focused. And the reality is, is that Israel, in the days of Isaiah, and the days of Jeremiah, they weren't focused on the Lord. They weren't focused on Yeshua, on the salvation that would come. They weren't focused on a right heart before the Lord. They weren't focused on knowing God in an intimate, relational mindset. See, that's what we were created for. We go back to Genesis. The Lord created us to be intimate with him. He created us to be his children. He created us to walk hand in hand with our Heavenly Father, and we chose to walk away from that. And he still makes ways over and over and over again. In Hebrews chapter 10, in Hebrews chapter 10, he continues this conversation. The author of Hebrews who... By the way, in light of Hebrews chapter 10, I'll say this. Uh, we did a real in-depth study as a community uh, a while back on the book of Hebrews. Um, and uh, and I, I think it was a pretty awesome uh, Bible study. But aside from that, I presented an idea that, that I believe and I hold to, although you know there's countless concepts out there and we can't definitively prove one way or the other. But uh, I, I believe that the book of Hebrews was authored by Luke. You know, a lot of people look at the, the book of Hebrews and they go, oh, well, it's clearly Paul wrote it because there's a lot of things that are in there that sounds just like Paul wrote. Do you know Luke was Paul's right-hand man? There's a lot of things in Hebrews that Paul wouldn't have said, and it sounds nothing like Paul, but his right-hand man might say it. Not only that, but we recognize that Luke and Acts were written to a very specific individual. His name in Greek was Theophilus. And Theophilus wasn't just a title, although it is. I mean, it's two Greek words put together, but it wasn't just a title. 
Theophilus was actually a man of Israel in the first century. Not just a man of Israel, but he was a high priest in the temple in the first century in Israel. He was a high priest who had a very, very, very short tenure as high priest, one of the shortest ever recorded. And the reason his tenure was so short was because he became a believer in Yeshua. And he was kicked out the priesthood. And history tells us he took off and he ran, and I believe he went to Antioch, if I remember correctly. But he took off and he ran, and so he, uh, Luke writes to the book of Luke uh, and the book of Acts to Theophilus, and he's explain, explaining the works of Messiah and everything that went on post the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. But then we go forward to the book of Hebrews, which I believe was likely written by Luke as well. And if he wrote the first two books to Theophilus, odds are he wrote Hebrews to Theophilus. And when we look at Hebrews, which is so complicated to understand in the first place, but then we look at it from the light of its being written to a guy who was formerly a high priest who lost everything because of his faith, his faith in Messiah, all he was raised to know, everything he was ever trained to do, his only career in life was to be a priest. And all of a sudden that was taken away from him. And now he's off in a whole nother land separate from where he grew up at. And he's struggling with his faith, not because he doesn't believe that Messiah is Yeshua, but because he lost everything. And then we look at Hebrews and we recognize Hebrews talks about there being a greater priesthood. Don't worry about the priesthood you lost because you're part of a greater priesthood. It talks about there being a greater kingship talks about there being a greater father and so on and so forth this image over and over again and as we go to hebrews chapter 10 and 11 and 12 and he starts to deal with the temple service here in chapter 10 he says verse 1 the torah has a shadow of the good things to come not the form itself of the realities for this reason it can never by means of the same sacrifice they offer constantly year after year make perfect those who draw near otherwise would they need would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers cleansed once and for all would no longer have consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, a reminder of sin year after year, for it is impossible for blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So when Messiah comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not delight. We're going to skip down to verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor did you delight in them, those which are offered according to the Torah. Then he said, behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By his will, we have been made holy through the offering of the body of Messiah Yeshua once for all. Unlike the sacrifices made on Yom Kippur, which simply rolled your sins forward one more year, simply covered you for that year, simply reminded you of your mistakes and your errors, here he says the blood atonement of Messiah was once and for all. Indeed, every Kohen stands day by day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But on the other hand, when this one offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for then on until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he was perfected forever. Uh, he has perfected forever those being made holy. Notice the wording there. He has perfected forever those being made holy. And God's perspective outside of time, we're already holy, we're already perfect. Here inside of time, eh, we're still a work in progress. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those being made holy. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, also testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will cut with them 
After those days, says Adonai, I will put my Torah upon their hearts and upon their minds. I will write it. Then he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. What kept us out of the Holy of Holies? Remember, only the high priest could go in. Why is it only the high priest could go in the Holy of Holies? Because God's presence resided in the Holy of Holies, and his presence cannot reside in the midst of sin. And we are sinful and fallen, so much so that even when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies in order to make atonement and sacrifice for our sins, he had to fill the room with smoke first to protect his fallen, sinful nature from the presence of the Lord that he was about to walk into. Go back and read it, Leviticus. It's exactly what the Lord prescribes is that they put the, the fire on the incense and the, uh, the, the incense on the fire uh, and the incense pan and they stick it inside of the Holy of Holies and fill the room with smoke and then they walk in. And that smoke acts as a barrier, a force field, if you would, if you're uh, into geeky stuff, a force field uh, to protect them from the presence of the Lord. But here he says we've been made holy and righteous because of the work of Messiah. What the sacrifice of man couldn't do, which is actually truly atoned for our sins, the sacrifice of God made flesh could. And he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, when there, where there is removal of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Verse 19, and this is the follow-up. This is now what we all as part of the priesthood, as First Peter 2 says, as the Lord says in Exodus that he would make us. Verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have boldness to enter into the holies by the blood of Yeshua. He inaugurated a new and living way for us through the curtain that is his flesh. We also have a Kohen Gadol over God's household. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and body washed with pure water. No longer do we have to be concerned about our sins. That'll hold us back. No longer do we have to be concerned about the fact that we need a representative to go into the Holy of Holies for us, to interact with the presence of the Lord. But no, because of the blood atonement of Messiah, if you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you are a believer in Yeshua Mashiach, if you are proclaimed with your mouth and confessed with your heart that Yeshua is Lord, you have access into the Holy of Holies. Because you are now redeemed, restored, and renewed into the priesthood God originally created us to be a part of. What God told Israel in Exodus, he would make us. In Exodus uh, 19, at the, the Sinai account, the Sinai experience, one of the things the Lord says is, I will make you a nation of Kohanim, a nation of priests. He calls a family of the nation out to be priests on behalf of the nation. But he doesn't make the whole nation priest yet. That is a future fulfillment. That is a future calling that he is giving to Israel right then and there. And then in 1 Peter 2.9, God reiterates that and says, Now this calling has been fulfilled. Now you are a holy people, a king's kohanim, the king's priesthood. And Hebrews says, Because of the blood of the Messiah in making us priests. See, Theophilus lost everything he ever knew. Theophilus lost the priesthood, the only job he ever knew, the only job he ever thought he would have. He lost the priesthood because of his faith in Messiah and instantly had to be thinking, what should have been the best decision of my life just became the worst. Because not only have I lost my career, my job, my goals, 
But now I've lost my family, my friends. I've been on the run because people want to kill me, literally want to lob my head off because of my faith. Look, this isn't something new for Jewish believers. We're used to it. We know it. We experience it. It's not uncommon for Jewish believers to have their family put a casket in the ground, tombstone, sit shiva, have a funeral, et cetera, et cetera. It's not uncommon for Jewish believers to be completely renounced by their family, be disowned, and not have the opportunity to talk to them again. On the same hand, it's not uncommon for Messianic Gentiles and the Messianic Jewish movement to experience relatively similar things from their families. And just like I believe Luke is saying to Theophilus and Hebrews, and ultimately to all of us as believers in Messiah, don't worry about all that. Don't worry about all that. Don't fall back into the habits of worrying about what the world says has to happen, how things should go down. Walk in light of what God has already done for you and recognize that because of the blood atonement of Messiah, you now have the right and the authority and the opportunity to walk into the Holy of Holies, to boldly go into the presence of the Lord and to experience and encounter him. You don't need an intermediary to go before you anymore. You don't have to stand outside the temple waiting to see if the crimson cord turns white. You don't have to stand outside the temple waiting to see if the priest falls dead because the sacrifice wasn't accepted. You don't have to wait to see the Azazel goat, the scapegoat, get sent out into the wilderness to take your sins off uh, uh, symbolically because there's been a literal enacting of your sins being transferred and the consequences of your sins being transferred to the person of Yeshua Mashiach, providing you and I means for salvation and true forever eternal atonement. I believe this is what Yom Kippur is all about. Teshuvah through the blood atonement of Messiah. Teshuvah, repentance, return through the blood atonement of Messiah. It's not about us focusing on the, the, the traditions specifically and only. It's not about us focusing on the, the rote practice and the things that, that Judaism says has to happen on these days. Heaven forbid I'm going to throw this one out. It's not about us fasting, although fasting is a part of it. But if your heart's not right when you go into the fast, what's the point? What's the point? It's pretty common in Judaism to hear people say, I hope you have a good and easy fast. Anybody ever fasted? What's good and easy about it? Not to mention, if we're fasting to realign ourselves with the Lord, do we want it to be easy? Now, that's not to say that I want us to, like, you know, be suffering over it or anything. Sometime tomorrow afternoon, we'll all be, you know, hearing our stomachs growl and, and grumble and roll, and we'll all be starving. I mean, starving. Eh, we're Americans. What we know about starving, we'll all be experiencing it tomorrow. But the reality is, it's not about that. It's about using those opportunities to focus on the presence of the Lord. Because for way too many millennia, our Jewish people have been focused on the practice and not on the spiritual reality. The practice doesn't mean anything if we're not in alignment with the spiritual reality. That doesn't mean God doesn't want the practice or care about the practice. He commanded the practice. But he does want our hearts to be in the right place. I don't care how well you can preach the gospel. I don't care how well you can defend your faith and apologetics. I don't care how well you can go and do good deeds for people. If your heart is dark and ugly like the world around you, none of that matters in the first place because people will see through you. 
people will see through me. The Lord wants us to realign our hearts with him. That the practice of our lives is an alignment spiritually before it is physically. So that people see him in us. Not so that they see us acting like he is in us. And I believe this is what Yom Kippur is all about. The idea of teshuvah, return, of repentance. It's not just us asking God to forgive us for our sins, but it's actually turning our lives around and walking back in faithfulness with him. The Lord says he cares more about us knowing him than about whether or not we do all of the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Back to Psalm 51 in closing. For you would not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, nor be pleased by burnt offerings. If it were that simple, we could all pull it off. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise in your favor do good to Zion. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in righteousness, righteous sacrifices and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David says, look, get your crap together first. Then God will delight in your sacrifices. When your heart is in alignment with him, when you have truly repented in a contrite heart, when you have recognized the blood atonement of Messiah through a broken spirit, recognizing that you are at the bottom and you need him to bring you back, then he will rejoice in your sacrifices and in your, there'll be righteous sacrifices first off, but then he'll rejoice in your sacrifices. Then he will accept your burnt offerings. Paul calls us in Romans that our lives be a living sacrifice to him. And it begins with this reality. It begins with a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart before the Lord so that we can then see his work in our physical actions. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. Lord, I pray that as we continue to observe this Yom Kippur, as our fast continues to move forward, as our, our minds and our hearts are focused on repentance and restoration in your presence, Lord, I pray that you continue to reveal to us the reality of what it truly means to return to you with a heart that is broken for you, a heart that is broken for this world because your heart is broken for this world. Father, that our repentance not be self-serving, but that it be kingdom-serving. That this world may know the truth of your Messiah. Father, I pray that you use our worship, our service, our practice, our remembrance of Yom Kippur, our memorialization of the atonement of Messiah, Yeshua, our broken heart, our contrite spirit, our repentive heart, that you use it as a light to the world around us, that you use it as a light among the Jewish community that you have placed us in. Lord, that people will see the reality of what you have in store through the blood atonement of Messiah, the restoration that can only be made through you. Father, that we not be focused just on one day the temple will be rebuilt, but that we focus on the reality of what you have already done in preparation for that. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen.